What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. What is up, Atlanta? This is your boy, Isaiah Smith, coming to you with another episode of the 404. Um, thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate your, your listenership here as we get the new year kicked off. Hope you guys had a happy holiday season, a great new year as well. Um, before we get into the show and get started, just want to make sure you guys check us out on social media, on Facebook. That is the 404. That is T-H-E, the number four, the number zero, F-O-R-U-M. Also check us out on Twitter at the 404, spelled the exact same way. You can also follow me at Isaiah Isaiah Smith 30 for all the, the best sports takes and all the hottest sports takes from around Atlanta and around uh, all the leagues that you love. Um, so, you know, be sure to like subscribe, check us out on anchor, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, just search for the four Oh forum. Again, that is T H E the number four, the number zero F O R U M. Let us know what you think. Tell us your opinions in the comments. Tell us what you want us to talk about guests. You want us to have on ways you want us to change the show, make it better, all those types of things. So, Gonna hop in today. A pretty, pretty basic show, I guess I'll say. Not gonna do a lot of fluff or smoke and mirrors or anything like that. We're gonna save the off-season off chatter for next week and the coming weeks and things like that. But um, first of all, welcome back. Life's been busy. It happens fast. We know it. We all do know it. Um, but I'm excited to hop back on after finishing up the Power Eye on Colorcast. Thank you guys who all listened to me there as well. Um, and, and what a time in the sports world. We've had lots of news: the college football, the coaching carousel, the NBA is kind of beginning to hit its stride post Christmas. Uh, the NFL playoffs are about to begin as well. We know the hometown Falcons are out, but we're going to discuss them a little bit more after their season ends next week. But the playoffs are going to be fun. It's exciting to see all the, the scenarios and things play out this coming weekend. And it'll be fun to um, to, to see just how, how this thing plays out. This is the most parity we've seen in a while in the NFL, and we saw it reflected in our fantasy football uh, standings and leagues this year. I um, hope you guys had good, good, good uh, luck there as your fantasy seasons ended. Um, but, you know, kind of speaking of the fact Falcons. Uh, we, you know, I can't miss the Calvin Ridley drama and the speculation uh, that he wants out. And I'm calling it drama now because people are beginning to weigh in and talk about it. And it seems like it's going to become um, an offseason saga and, and bleed into what we thought was going to be a pretty normal, pretty peaceful offseason for the Falcons, aside from, you know, their draft needs and things like that. But I really do, you know, speaking on that, I really do hope uh, Calvin Ridley gets the help he needs because mental health is real. It affects athletes just like everyone else. His, his life outside of football and, and the quality of that is the most important thing, not what he can do on the football field or the way he can produce um, and things like that. His, his life is the most important thing. So we do hope that he he's doing doing good there and is making the strides he needs to make to be able to live, you know, a normal life and things thing, and, you know, be with his family and, and people that he loves and cares about and things like that. But, um, you know, with the reports now that he wants out and maybe wanting to split from the Falcons, you know, if he hid this this warning out um, and essentially kind of being a bit, a bit of a pouty baby behind mental health issues, you know, I, I do have a problem with that. I don't, I don't have a lot of respect for that. Um, I, you know, we won't know if this is the case. I'm not speculating that this is the case or saying that it is. Um, but, you know, until the other shoe drops and we get another, you know, Shannon Sharp phone call in the middle of his show um, and some questionable journalism ethics. So, you know, if, I hope you get the sarcasm there with the reference to Julio Jones and things like that. Um, but, you know, until we get the other shoe to drop and figure out, you know, what's going on here from Calvin Ridley, hear from his camp and what he has to say, we won't know for sure. But, um, you know, with, with that in mind, you know, if, 
that is the case. And he's just said that to, to not have to play, to get another year off the contract and hopefully be moved after this season. You know, I, I have issue with that. You know, I don't know if I want a guy like that on my football team. If I'm Arthur Smith, if I'm, you know, Arthur Blank, Terry Fontenot, all those people in charge, you know, if you want to be, if you want out, be an adult, and say it, say it like an adult, like a grown man. Julio Jones did it. Others have done it before him. You won't be the first. You won't be the last. And so it's not, it's not so much the you know the fact that he was away. It's just the fact that all this is surfacing now. And if you just wanted out, you should have just said so. It would have been fine. We would have moved on. We would have been disappointed. But now you're going to catch a lot of ill will if you hid behind mental health issues because because doing this to disguise your discontentment, if it was just purely discontentment and not an actual issue, um, is is not advancing the cause of mental health and you know mental health awareness for athletes. So if that's the case, and he hid behind that, and that was his just a convenient excuse and things like that, um, you. You know, I, I kind of hope he's stocking shells to local Kroger next year um, and doesn't really make it all back on the football field. But, um, you know, all in all, um, you know, that it's going to be an interesting offseason with that. It's also going to be an interesting offseason with what the Falcons have to do in the draft, because now it really does seem like every position is open. I heard the other day that the Falcons could literally take any position at their draft, which will probably be in their draft, which will probably be around 10, 11 in the first round there. Um, and, you know, they can take any position outside of really tight end kicker and punter. And they would you would hear no qualms from from me. Maybe be center um but truthfully they could take just about any position of, across the board so that makes it a lot of fun there's, that means there's a lot to discuss uh everything's on the table um it's, and it's also remarkable this team was in the playoff hunt and played meaningful games in the month of december considering this is kind of the prognosis of their team going into the draft that they could take any position they need help everywhere across the board for that matter um there are holes everywhere but you know arthur smith and the coaches um still put guys in positions to win every week hats off to arthur smith terry fontenot um the coaches you know dean Peas, who, who we had some issue with for, for some things that he did and said early in the year, but things have worked out. The defense has looked serviceable. You still have a lot of guys playing outside of their base systems. You know, Grady Jarrett, it really is not a 3-4 defensive tackle. Um, you know, Deion Jones not, may not necessarily be a 3-4 linebacker, but they still went out, found ways to make plays and, and do their job. And, that, and that's what's most important and, and what you want to see. And so this team is now in a position where I don't know if they're a playoff team next year, but they're definitely in a position where a lot of those young guys can take another step forward, continue their maturation and growth a lot of these old guys now have a year under their belt in the system so now they can kind of see what they need to do ways to improve and what's going to be expected of them and what it's like to, to be in the system with arthur smith coming in the next year for the ones that are back i'm um, also hope to see Cordero patterson back as well the spark plug the guy who kind of um, ran the show for a lot of this season so that's going to be a lot of fun going into the offseason and also the hawks um they kind of got a wake-up call from a travis schlink interview the other day so it really is approaching put up or shut up time for this Hawks team. We know what they did last season. Now they have to kick it into gear mid with midseason approaching. Um, we're going to do a deeper dive on the Hawks next week. There's a lot to discuss here too. Um, but you know, for now we're going to hop into some college football because that's kind of the big ticket item. National championship will be coming up on Monday. Um, we just had the semifinals end up last weekend. It was kind of an uneventful semifinal. Um, but the good thing is we now have the national championship and we have the national championship that we suspected we would have. Um, maybe after the SEC championship game, at least where we, and we know we are going to see the two best teams on college football's biggest stage in Indianapolis um, for the last game of the season. You know, we, you know, the coaching carousel in college football also may still be rolling um, after Jim Harbaugh was put out of, of the playoff. It was rumored that he may leave Michigan for the NFL after making the college football playoff for the first time in a decade. Um, and after, you know, being picked, 
God knows how many times to make the college football playoff seven, eight. I don't know, but he didn't make it this year. He's rumored to be looking to leave um, for the NFL. Um, that, all that's beside the point. But, you know, if Harbaugh heads to the NFL, uh, which I personally, I think he will. I think he's going to leverage his, his his one really good coaching job. And not to say that he didn't have talent, but he did a very good job of coaching this team with his coordinators and things like that. But I really do think he's going to leverage this, try and get back to the NFL. Cause I think that's where he wants to be. I think that's where he's wanted to be since leaving, uh, you know, San Francisco and things of that nature. Um, you know, but if Harbaugh does leave, whether it be to Oakland where he's kind of rumored to be connected or potentially a Seattle or, um, you know, potentially even uh, Jacksonville to play with or to coach Trevor Lawrence and things like that. And then get the quarterback whisperer in there um, as Harbaugh's kind of known, known to be. Um, I think if you're Michigan, there's only three names in consideration. And I'm going to go, go through these really quickly because I want to talk about the college football playoff but uh, and talk about the national championship that's got the hometown dogs in it. But uh, Luke Fickle, after the job he's done at Cincinnati, he's got to be considered for a, a bigger, better job at some point, right? Um, and he didn't get the USC job, which he, a lot of people connected him to, including myself, didn't get uh, some of these other big-time jobs. I think kind of it was an Eric Bieniemy effect where his team was still playing. He didn't want to be distracted. So maybe, you know, didn't get the quite the same level of consideration that maybe he would have gotten had his team been out of it or just played a normal bowl game. Um, also got to think if you're Michigan, you got to call Urban Meyer. I know he coached Ohio State. I know he's a, a sleazy scumbag, a slime ball, but he can coach football, particularly at the college level. His his way of doing things is definitely suited for a college locker room in the college level. As we saw him, I saw, you know, that's part of the reason why he failed in Jacksonville. So I think Urban Meyer's got to get a call. But the name that I think if you are Michigan and you want to go higher potentially than um, than you were with Jim Harbaugh, than you were maybe with some of your previous coaches, get into that playoff discussion every single year, get a guy who can flat out coach, who can flat out recruit um, and who can just get the job done. Uh, I think you may have, you need to call Pete Carroll. Uh, his job at building USC back into the monster they were throughout the uh, the early 2000s um, and, and then keeping Seattle at the top for as long as they were with the Legion of Boom defense and then kind of relying on Russell Wilson, um, you know, to just kind of lead the lead the charge. And, and the way he was able to build that offense, build the offensive line and do some of the things he, he was able to do there. I um, mean, a lot of times do a little bit more with less um, in some cases. But even if he's fired or wants to leave, whatever the case is, I think Michigan's got to call Pete Carroll because I think Pete Carroll's a pretty good football coach if he still has a desire to be in the game and coach I know he's he's aging he's in his 70s now so but whatever the case there is um he wants to be in the game and wants to coach I think you've got to uh to consider Pete Carroll for that job and in any open job that may come up in the NFL or in college football you know but all that being said that'll be all discussion and topic for next week we'll try to get a rundown and remake this uh this landscape of college football and the NFL and we'll talk about the Hawks and all those other good things and hopefully the lockout will end and we can talk about the Braves who are still World Series champions um a couple of months uh you know removed from that and still on the high so shout out to the Braves uh and and for what they were able to do and bring a championship to the state. So um, we're going to now shift our discussion to another team that is looking to bring a, a championship to, to the state of Georgia, and that is uh, the University of Georgia. You know, the dogs dominated the Orange Bowl. We're going to recap that first before we get into some national championship talk. Um, but I went back and really watched the Orange Bowl and tried to, you know, not just watch it from the, the initial viewership point, but really watch it uh, and, and kind of analyze and break down what was happening. Um, and it was, as I suspected, it was an absolute butt kicking of a pretty talented Michigan team. You know, Michigan's not bad. Coming in this game, they had a lot of people a little worried. A lot of Georgia folks were a little worried about what Michigan could do. Um, You know, they run it well. They used a lot of counters and misdirections and kind of imposed their will on you. 
Cade McNamara can punish you for being undisciplined in the past game, uh, you know, but from the jump, it was clear how Georgia wanted to attack and Georgia was really able to impose their will. Uh, they kept Michigan off balance and didn't let Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo kind of pin their ears back as pass rushers. Um, they took the ball first, used a nice balance of run and pass to punch it in uh, and call it like it is. You know, Georgia is deficient at the wide receiver position. Um, so that's why we saw a lot of two and three tight end looks, which is perfectly fine because Brock Bowers is just a big wide receiver. Darnell Washington, in a lot of cases, is just a big wide receiver. He can punish you um, in the run and the pass because of his size and his physicality and the way he plays the game. But, you know, from the start, it was clear there was a big effort to get Brock Bowers involved, unlike in the SEC championship game where a lot of his his uh, work was done later and his presence was felt kind of after the game was a little bit out of reach. Um, but in that opening drive, I think Bowers had two or three really, really big catches for a nice couple chunks of yardage right there. Um, he finished with five catches for 55 yards, did have the touchdown he scored on the opening drive as well. Um, and it'll be important to establish the big big freshman early because he's arguably your best receiving weapon, I think. I think between him and he and James Cook, what I'm about to talk about, um, those are your two best receiving weapons. Um, and I think that, the, you know, James Cook, I think he may be the key cog in the wheel um, for Georgia when it comes to their receiving playmakers. You know, he had six carries for 32 yards, but he also had the four catches for 112 yards in, in the touchdown. He was the leading receiver on the day. He's one of the most talented offensive players that Georgia has. And I think Cook's versatility gave Michigan a lot of issues. Um, with the lack of wide receivers, his ability to create and exploit mismatches um, in the slot out and out of the backfield is really key to getting Georgia's passing attack going. Um, give, you know, he gives Stetson Bennett kind of the the coach said this is going to be wide open in practice, so I'm going to throw it to him type of throws. Um, he gives him kind of looks that you can maybe game plan for and, and know how a team's going to play a certain look um, the, the first time they see it and, and know you're going to probably get a particular mismatch. So he gives them some easy rhythm type throws to to get the confidence flowing. And then once you've kind of established that and kind of gotten into your game plan, you can split him out wide or use, use him in kind of a wrinkle situation in a slot and send him on a wheel route or um, you know, send him out of the backfield deep down the field and, and you get some pretty wide open shots uh, down the field to throw to James Cook. We've seen that multiple times this season. And so I think having those is really big for Georgia's offense. Um, but you can also use them in the backfield as well. It's not a dead giveaway that you're going to pass. You know, some teams have a, a pass catching back or a pass blocking back and then they're, you know, tr more traditional running back who you're going to hand the ball to. Um, Georgia doesn't quite have that problem with the backs that they employ. All of them can catch the ball, whether it be Zamir White, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, or Cook or even Dajon Edwards. Um, but, you know, James Cook runs the ball with just as much intensity and, and ferocity as a as a um, Tamir White or a Kendall Milton or a Dajon Edwards or whoever it may be. Um, so you can't take that part of his his game lightly. Just ask Kentucky for the, with the couple big runs he ripped off um, on them. And then you got to tip your cap also to Zamir White. He got the ground game going for Georgia early. I think he he may, you know, as, as much as uh, James Cook is, is the maybe the premier performer, the guy you need to get going, the key cog in the wheel, um, Zamir White is is always the guy who I think is going to get your run game going if you're going to get it going. Um, you know, Cook does have the ability. Milton does have the ability coming back from some injuries earlier in the year. Um, but I think Georgia's just a better team when they've got him going at the tailback position, and he's getting chunks of yardage. He's catching the ball out of the backfield at 
times. He, he's helping pass block um, and doing the, the, the things that he does well. I, I know they have four or five backs that they like, but having that one consistent workhorse that's as productive and as bruising as Amir White can be that runs with as much intensity and, and bad intentions as he does, you know, that really opens things up in the play action pass game and also later in the game for, for backs and for, you know, the other backs and for when you're trying to milk the clock, when defensive guys are getting tired of hitting a guy that runs as hard as Amir White does. Ask Clemson, you know, he was kind of the guy who helped salt that game away late, even though you did see James Cook, you did see a healthy portion of, uh, of, of Milton and you saw some Macintosh as well. Um, it was, it really was uh, Zamir White that was the feature back late who you, they gave the ball to in those late third downs and, and who got the job done, you know, with JT Daniels at quarterback. But, you know, his presence in the run game helped a lot because it got Hutchinson and Ojabo moving backwards. And that's not their strength. You know, stopping the run is not the strength of, of Michigan's fire breathers on the edges of the defense. Um, it also helps your offensive line. We've heard it before. It's easier to, to run block than to pass block a lot of times, especially when you got dominant uh, pass rushers because, you know, you're attacking them, you're going at them, you're not sitting back waiting on them to attack you and trying to read their hand. You're, you're you know, you're taking the fight at them. So handling, you know, the way they handled Aiden Hutchinson with getting the run going, sometimes running at him, um, that to me needs to be maybe some of the way that they employ attacking Will Anderson on Monday night. Um, and then also we cannot forget about the game's MVP either. Stetson Bennett, uh, he, he was as good as he's been all season, truthfully, against Michigan. You can uh, chalk that up to game plan, chalk it up to Bennett turning a corner, chalk it up to whatever you want. But the fact of the matter, he was good. He went 20 for 30, 313 yards, three touchdowns. Maybe the first time that I can remember Bennett throwing the ball 30 times and getting a win at Georgia. Um, I think it started with lots of easy throws early, kind of like we talked about getting James Cook involved um, with, you know, also getting Bowers involved and, and some of the other backs. And then when he had to make some more difficult throws or throws that were schemed open and things like that, he was able to because the confidence was really there. Um, the deep ball was was commanded very well by Stetson Bennett. Um, he was able to find open guys. He really only had one play where you kind of scratched your head and was like, what are you doing? I think it was when he kind of tried to throw over the middle and in the, in the second quarter, I think it was, he went across his body after scrambling out of the pocket. And, you know, it was just very clear, just get rid of the ball, throw the ball away. Um, you also saw Kirby smart kind of get onto him there late in the uh, late in, or at the end of the second quarter um, for not managing the clock better, which is what you want to see. You, you know, you need him to be the, the elder statesman and at the helm there um, with managing the clock and things like that as you get close to the end of the game or halftime, because, it's going to be so important. Points are going to be so important against Alabama. And that last little, you know, minute 32 minute drill that you may have there is going, could be the difference in winning and losing a football game on Monday night. So it's, it's good to see that, that he was, you know, that was pointed out as you know, Kirby smart was, was going to do, but you know, the thing that most impressed me was Stetson Bennett, I think led to him winning the MVP of this game. Um, he made some winning plays down the field and not to say that he didn't make winning plays before, but he made, more than I think we're used to him seeing, like the deep ball to James Cook, the, the shot to um, uh, I believe it was Jermaine Burton, that it, and, and he was able to go make a play. But Stetson Bennett, you know, he scrambled a few times. And winning plays aren't always touchdowns or quick deep strikes. Winning plays are extending the play with your legs, and sometimes it's throwing the ball away. It's not throwing the ball into a heap of traffic and causing it a turnover or getting an interception or you know putting the ball on the ground, things like that. Um, he made some winning plays and and avoided the rush and. Did did some different things to create um, 
to create to create plays and create opportunities for Georgia to score um, when against a pretty good defense. Michigan's ranked, I think, 27th in the country, so in the top 30 in passing yards per game, give up right at 200. But, you know, their defensive line plays a big part in that. But that means they, don't, they also don't have a slouchy secondary either. Um, so, you know, really from there, it really seemed like the route was on. Um, defensively, Georgia was just as stout as, as they've been all season. Michigan never really found any type of offensive rhythm, even though when they hit hit some big plays down the field. You know, you saw Darion Kendrick get beat once in the first half, and they had another big play, I think, in the second half. Even when Michigan was able to hit some big plays and some explosives, um, they either turned the ball over on downs or Georgia managed to get off the field or they had a, Michigan had a turnover. Um, you know, they had, like I said, had some nice momentum early and on a couple other drives. They had a turnover on downs in their first possession. Um, a turnover ended a couple more prematurely. You know, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, Michigan's one-two punch at the running back positions, they were largely in effect on the day. Michigan was under 100 yards rushing, um, largely due to N'Kobe Dean playing sideline to sideline and the defensive line really, you know, stuffing a bunch of running lanes. Nothing new there with Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, um, you know, Devontae Wyatt and those guys really doing what they need to need to do to keep Michigan from finding any type of, of rhythm with their ground game, which is what sets up everything else they want to do. Um, and when they were kept out of rhythm, you know, when you keep an offense out of rhythm, the way that Michigan was kind of out of rhythm, you can keep your big guys who are your best players on the field because there's no real reason to go hurry up or go tempo. A lot of people were worried that Michigan may go tempo um, in this game to kind of keep Georgia off balance because they saw Alabama do it, but that Michigan never really established a rhythm to be able to use an up-tempo style of play. Um, and, you know, there's no point in really running three plays in 30 seconds and getting off the field. It's not really good for your defense if you can't move the ball. Um, and so also Georgia's secondary, got to speak about them. Darion Kendrick with the two intercept, interceptions of McNamara. Um, again, no, just Michigan was just no rhythm in this football game, which you worry about coming into bowl games because you haven't played in a month, but it was more than just not having played in a month because you can shake that rust off. You can't shake off the rust of going up against a juggernaut, historically great defense. And overall, I'm not going to say that this Michigan team is a bad team. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of playmakers. They really do get the job done and know their style and they're, they're true to it. Defensively, they have two fire breathers on the edge. Um, they've got, you know, the, the uh, safety that, that really gets the job done as well. Um, their secondary is not too shabby as well. So, you know, it's just clear that the best two teams in the country right now are Georgia and Alabama. And we'll get to see them, you know, show down one final time to decide who gets to bring home um, a trophy this year. And, and honestly, that's the way that you kind of want it. You know that people are complaining about an all SEC national championship, but you know the question is who's who's better than these teams um, and going to give you a more entertaining game than, than these two are probably going to give on Monday night. Um, maybe Alabama is that much better than the field, including Georgia. I don't need them to beat Notre Dame or Oklahoma State or Ohio State or someone like that to prove it. Let them go up against the other team that has dominated their competition all season long, with the exception of one time and let those two teams decide the title game because that's the way it should be. That's the reason we have the playoff. That's, that's the whole point and the sentiment behind the playoff era and having a playoff. And so that is the way it needs to be. Um, so we're going to step away very quickly, take a quick break. But when we return from a break, um, we're going to break down um, some things that Georgia needs to do to win this national title and get the monkey off their back a little bit because let's be real, there's a lot riding on this game. And we'll kind of go into that when we get back from a quick break. Don't you just hate it when the group text is jumping about last night's game, but you don't have anything to say because you didn't watch it? 
Well, if you listen to the 404 Forum, you will never feel that again because we're bringing you the latest each week in what's happening around Atlanta's sports scene. So follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll never feel left out in the group text again. We are back. You are listening to the 404 Forum. I am your host, Isaiah Smith, still breaking down the the national championship game and all SEC affair between Georgia and Alabama. Um, And so before we get into the keys to the game and kind of talk about the upcoming matchup, I want to kind of rewind a little bit. And I want to talk about the SEC championship game. And I want to kind of, you know, exercise some demons there and really hit on what went wrong to kind of find a pathway forward. If you're, if you know, for Georgia, because, you know, what we are Georgia fans here at the 404 and we want to see Georgia win because they're the home team there and we're in state. So that's just natural. We want to see that. I think a lot of people are tired to have some Alabama fatigue. So I think Georgia's going to get a pretty nice rooting audience from impartial observers as well as their home state. So, you know, first, let's look back at this SEC championship game. It wasn't pretty, but, you know, to understand your future and where you're going, you've got to know where you've come from. you got to exercise that past trauma. And so what we're going to – that's what we're going to do right now for just a few minutes. We're going to take a long time to do it, uh, but we're going to have a little bit of, of a therapy session for Georgia and Georgia fans who may not be feeling as confident about this game as they were a, a month or so ago when Georgia took on Alabama in Atlanta the first time. So if you remember – that game and review the film. Um, the first quarter wasn't bad. Uh, the problem was the final three quarters. Uh, if you if you're you know trying to not remember that game, but I'm, I'm encouraging you to bring it up and have and, and sit in that bad memory and those bad feelings. Um, but Alabama Alabama's wide receivers were absolutely running free without defenders than five or ten yards of them. Bryce Young did whatever he wanted through the air. Um, he even did what he wanted to on the ground when they didn't have a healthy Brian Robinson. You had guys falling down who were spying. The defensive line had no pressure. It was it was just like. Alabama was on a different level, like Georgia didn't belong. And credit to Alabama for coming in as underdogs, preparing and taking the fight to Georgia for 60 minutes. That's what championship caliber teams do. And if you're Georgia, now it's your time to prove that you are a championship caliber team as well and to go out and win a football game that will give you a championship because teams of the pedigree of Georgia and of Alabama and some of the other top teams throughout the sport of football – they learn from their mistakes and they get better. So we're going to see if that has happened after the success against Michigan and then going into this matchup to Alabama. But back to um, that first matchup, you know, people were saying that Georgia got pushed around. Initially, I thought eh, not so much, but thinking about it, they were in a way that, that was just different from just a physical, physically dominating um, type thing. You know, usually when you think about getting pushed around, you think about getting gashed in the run game. Um, but that wasn't what happened. That They – got beat up in the past game because a lot of times they weren't physical enough to create pressure. Um, Georgia's offensive line or excuse me, Georgia's defensive line was not able to generate pressure. Alabama's offensive line um, didn't back down. They, and they physically handled Georgia, a really good Georgia defensive line. Um, you know, so when you think about that, there's a lot of explanations to it. You can say it was game plan. You can say it was, uh, you know, a myriad of different things, but I'm going to offer another explanation. You know, in in sports, we talk about a team can lose any given day, any given day, any given Sunday, any given Saturday, any even whatever day it is. You know, and we say it especially in college football. Any given Saturday, anything can happen. Um, so, what if that Saturday, that first Saturday in December, what if that was just 
that given Saturday. You know, Nick Saban was able to play a very rare card with his team where he was actually being a believable underdog. Um, And it was a good thing that it worked for him. They got a supercharged effort right when they needed it. The bad thing is you could only realistically play that underdog card and get a supercharged effort once. It's not going to work again, even though Georgia is a favorite in this national championship game. It's not going to work again to the same effect because Alabama's the number one seed in the playoff. That's that's a fact, and there's no way around that. Um, and then, you know, you are using the motivation of others doubting you, the rat poison, as Nick Saban likes to call it, um, to get that big emotional rise. But you're not going to get that the second time because a lot of people are still are going to pick Alabama. Um, Alabama's probably going to going to take most of the money in Vegas. And, and if you're going with the money, um, you, you'd be smart to pick Alabama if, if you had that much riding on it. Um, but, but that's, you know, the thing you can't really, you know, you get, can't get that big emotional rise from your team. Um, and that's why you don't see a lot of lower seeded teams making deep playoff runs or making deep, uh, NCAA tournament runs because you can withstand the runs of better teams for a particular, for a certain amount of time, but at a point the better team's athleticism and and just the fact that they are better, it is going to take over. That's why you don't see, you know, team lower seeded teams winning three, four, five, you know, games to win a championship or see them winning NCAA tournaments. You know, it's rare. And so I really do think that 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 card has played out. You're not going to be able to use that again if you're if you're Alabama. Um, also in the SEC championship game, the quarterback discussion reared its ugly head again. Um and that discussion, I don't think, it's, for me at least, is not to trash Stetson Bennett, but it's just about the t- at times Stetson Bennett hinders Georgia from being able to fully participate in the team aspect of the game of football. And I say that because throughout this year, the defense has picked up the slack for the offense more than a few times. Clemson, the first half of the Florida game, first half of Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera. The defense has shown up every single time except for in the SEC title. The SEC championship game was the offense's turn to return that favor. Um, but because they could not get the job done, they weren't dynamic enough. Bennett didn't have enough pl- plays in his system to make, um, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to, um, that couldn't happen. And it's unfair to the defense to say they have to be flawless or nearly flawless to win games, sometimes shutouts happen and, you know, complete teams are able to win them. Um, You know, what we saw from Georgia against Clemson was a complete team effort um, with both sides of the ball kind of getting, doing enough to win, win the game. Um, And maybe you can say this is your proof that Georgia isn't as complete of a team as we thought they were um, because the one time they saw an elite offense to challenge their defense, they, they crumbled in effect. Um, Maybe it's because they weren't in a game like that all season, which I'm leaning toward. They they didn't see a close game through their first 12 games of the season. So it's hard to just flip a switch and know what that's like and feel the nerves and the pressure and things like that of a big game where you know it's going to be close throughout. Um, you know, and they didn't just lose. They got dominated. And that's going to happen sometimes. But, you know, I, I think with – with Georgia, you know, I don't think the answer is that they're not a complete team. I think the answer is that it was there was I hate to say big game jitters, but I, I think there were just some circumstances and things that happened that made the game less favorable for Georgia. And you tip your cap to Alabama. But the good thing is 
I don't think you're going to see those things and those irregularities again. One of them being the fact of having experience against Alabama. Another thing being the fact of playing in a big game, a game that, you know, is, is in a sense kind of win or go home. Um, you've played in the in the playoff. You've played in the SEC championship. You've got your big game tune up. Now it's time to go do it on the biggest stage and, and perform. So when you look at this national championship, um, you know, the keys to the game for Georgia, you know, Georgia now has another thing to worry about with Alabama's run game. They got the job done in the semifinal. Uh, Brian Robinson was over 200 yards on the ground. You can't just let him run all over you. It's going to be important for Georgia to do what they've done all season with Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, and Nicobe Dean, and that group of guys, you know, those front seven guys who are going to be rotated and interchanged, Nolan Smith, um, to come in, stop the run, not let Brian Robinson just have a field day and make Alabama two-dimensional. Um, however, I do think the fact that Alabama may believe that they can have more success or some amount of success running the football is an advantage for Georgia. And, and, and hear me out and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's an advantage for Georgia in that because and, and I think because I think they believe it's going to be somewhat of a factor. A healthy Brian Robinson is going to be somewhat of a factor. And he may be, but you know, you know, football is about catching the other team off guard. And that's exactly what Alabama did in the first matchup. Georgia went with its best personnel, which is its big personnel. It's run-stopping personnel um, with Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, those guys up front. And so it was kind of like in basketball when one team offsets a dominant, you know, post player, a team with size by playing small ball. And the post player is left with no one to guard. So you're either hemorrhaging threes or easy buckets or things like that. So eventually you decide we can't trade baskets. So your, your big guy has to come out in basketball. Georgia's big personnel really didn't have anyone to guard when I say it that way, because Alabama was playing with a lot of one back or empty personnel. Um, it was Bryce Young taking a snap and going through his progression and looking to throw the football. So with those big guys, they are not the the best pass rushers. Jordan Davis, Wyatt, um, Jalen Carter, those guys, their forte is stopping the run. And so when they're having to rush for, for several seconds on every single play and run around and chase Bryce Young because how mobile he is and the way he can extend plays, and then they don't get home or they don't get a sack or he steps out of a sack or something like that, and then they're right back to the line of scrimmage and you can't sub and can't do some of these different things to get them off the field, um, I think that – that that has an effect. And so now Georgia finds itself having to blitz with a lot of smaller packages and things like that. And so you don't really have the variation. You can't change it up and they can't get home. And now you're still having to run guys on the ground because you can't sub like you want to. And so you, it, it just wasn't a good matchup for Georgia, for Alabama to be so shorthanded at running back to, and for them to have to let Bryce Young throw the ball 50, 50 times to even have a chance to win. However, Alabama's going to take the ball out of Bryce Young's hands to try to establish the run. It's not like Bryce Young is, is Johnny Manziel or is Lamar Jackson or a guy like that who's going to who looks to run the football free yardage and hurt you with his legs. He uses his legs to extend plays in the pot behind the line of scrimmage, looking to throw it down the field. He can run it. He does have all the athleticism and ability to do that. But Bryce Young is his first option is not going to be to, to run the read option, partly because there's no one behind him to play quarterback if he does go out or get hurt. Also, partly because his gift is his arm. He and he understands that he knows that and he uses it very well. But Alabama's going to take the ball out of his hands to try and establish the run with, with Brian Robinson. Because of this, now you've got Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, all those guys, they can play more of their normal snaps because they'll be, it'll be going strength on strength. Alabama will be trying to run it. Georgia will be trying to stop their run. And Georgia's best personnel is their run stopping personnel. You've now given those guys, for lack of a better term, someone to guard. Um, so, 
you're going to have number one that that positive of, of giving Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, those guys, uh, someone to guard uh, opportunities to be on the field. Secondly, you're giving Bryce Young fewer opportunities, especially early, and that could start him get get him that could stop him from getting into a white hot throwing rhythm. Um, that combined with not having John Mechie for the football game. Also, I'm still not sold on Alabama's offensive line versus other really, really talented defensive lines. I know they handled Georgia in that first meeting, uh, but I'm thinking more and more that was an aberration um, in the game plan of knowing they were going to have to put it in the air as many times as they did, more so than Alabama's personnel. And it also helped when you're you're blocking a tired defensive line and a tired defensive line that is that doesn't have its best pass rushing personnel on the field for a lot of the times you're trying to throw, especially early. Um, so I think it's almost a certain that Alabama is going to try to establish the run. Granted, they're going to try to throw in some running situations and run in some throwing situations to break tendency. But I really do think Alabama is going to try and establish the run. And if they can't do that, then it'll turn into the Bryce Young show. And I think it will turn into that very early, considering the success that they had throwing the football the last time these two teams met. But I think stopping the run for both teams is going to be a focal point. Also, I don't know what you say to stop Bryce Young. Uh, You can't say make him play from the pocket because he's so good from there. You think you're going to heat him up the blitz and if you don't get home he's still going to make you pay um you can't really confuse him before the line at the line of scrimmage before the snap he's so good at extending plays but and when you turn your back and man to man you know he's even more he can be explosive as a runner if he has to um so i think but i think you gotta make him play from a pocket try to get home with that mush rush and kind of pin him in um don't give him anywhere to go maybe use a spy if you are going to try to bend the edges a little bit um don't let him you know get outside the pocket start pointing and telling guys where to go and run into open space and then he can use his, his real talents and his physical gifts there, um, what he wants to do. You may see some zone mixed in. Georgia did it a lot earlier in the year. Um, you may try to see some zone and just make him take some of those shorter throws and keep the ball in front because um, they want to have those quick hitters and those explosive plays. They really do churn and really get going off of that. Alabama's offense does. Um, but you've got to realize Bryce Young's going to make plays. He's probably a future number one pick. So you got to account for that. Just don't make it easy. And you got to punish him when you can. You can't allow him to step out of sacks when you almost get home or, you know, get near the line of scrimmage and pitch a ball out to a running back who runs for 13 or 15 more yards. Those are on third down. Those are backbreakers. Those are demoralizing. Um, and so I think defensively for Georgia, it's, it's just trying to stop stop the run, contain Bryce Young. But then also Georgia, I think, has to establish the run themselves because the best defense against a good offense, and I said this before the SEC championship game, the best defense against a good offense can be – your offense having a long, methodical five, six, seven, eight play drives to keep Bryce Young off the field. Um, it's easier said than done, but Georgia's going to need some of these touchdown drives that are similar to their first drive against Michigan that goes five, six, seven, eight, nine plays um, and, and really makes Alabama's defense work, number one, but also just keeps them off the field for, you know, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, whatever it may be, to kind of let them cool off and lose some of that rhythm. You can't shoot the score on explosive plays the whole game because Alabama's going to answer you there and your defense is going to be exhausted. Um, but when you do get explosives, if you're Georgia and Stetson Bennett, you've got to connect. Um, it's going to be Stetson Bennett. It's only going to be Stetson Bennett unless there's an injury. Um, he doesn't have to go out and win this football game single-handedly, but he has to make sure he does not lose it. Um, however, you are going to have to ask Stetson Bennett to make some winning plays to beat this team, whether that's getting the body or playmakers early in space, hitting deep shots, using his legs to escape Will Anderson in the rush and making a play in that way or using his legs to run for first downs and things like that. Um, you know, 
he's got to be able to make winning plays. Um, you know, don't be afraid to get the dirty seven or eight yards on a scramble because those are huge to extending drives and getting points. And make no mistake, you're also going to need points. Along with making plays, you're going to need points. But Stetson Bennett has made winning plays this season, but he hasn't had to make them. It hasn't been a necessity that we're, to make these plays for Georgia to win. He has to make them for Georgia to win this football game. Barring an injury to someone, to, you know, an important Alabama player, namely Bryce Young, or, you know, the defense being in some type of zone that's just unheard of, um, you are going to need to score points if you need your quarterback to make some winning plays. I don't care how he makes them. I don't care when he makes them, but he needs to make a few and he needs to have one of his better games he's had in college, if not his best game to this point in his career. Um, you know, he finally was able to win after throwing it 30 times. I'm not going to say that that's going to be a requirement if I'm Georgia and Todd Munkin for, to win this football game. But if it comes to that, the Michigan performance should have restored some confidence um, in his ability to throw the ball multiple times into the you know high 20s and 30s and still be able to have success. I'm not even going to talk about the other quarterback on Georgia's roster that, that has been a topic of conversation this year um, because, quite frankly, we're not seeing him. We're not going to see him unless there's an injury. There's no sense in wasting my time on the show, your time listening, or any anyone else's time to discuss that it's going to have to be Stetson Bennett making plays that are worthy of winning a championship or, or Georgia's going to lose for the eighth consecutive time against Alabama hate to be Debbie Downer in that way but that's how it's going to be based on how we've seen Kirby Smart manage his quarterback room over the past six seasons regardless of what we think of Stetson Bennett he's who we went to the dance with he's who we're going to have to leave with um, come Monday night about 11 30 or 12 o'clock when this thing's over but all in all, thinking about, you know, the keys to this, to this game for Georgia is controlling the line of scrimmage. You got to stop the run for them, establish it for yourself. Have your quarterback make championship level winning plays can be with his arm, can be with his legs, but you need them. Whether it's a flip to a back who picks up 12 on a third and 10 after he steps out of a sack or a deep shot to a playmaker downfield after you extend the play, whatever, you need to take some pressure off your defense and make scoring, you know, to by scoring points, but you also need to make scoring points easier for yourself, for your offense. And maybe most importantly, when you can make these little plays like a flip to the back on third and 10, or you can escape a sack and throw a deep ball to, to George Pickens or Jermaine Burton or whoever it may be, or Brock Bauer steps out of it, you know, breaks two tackles and runs for 35 yards on a third down. That was, you know, we were thinking we we're going to have to punt. It was third and 15, but he steps out of two tackles in the flat and goes for 35 yards and a first down. Those types of plays demoralize your defense. I know because we watched it happen to Georgia time in and time out, watched it happen um, in the SEC championship game time in and time out. Um, so those plays demoralize your defense. And so Alabama's a good defense. I don't think they're a great defense. Georgia's a great defense, and you saw how it affected them. Imagine how it's going to affect the defense is probably a step down from where you are. Um, you've also got to limit Bryce Young. You're not going to stop him, but you got to limit his effectiveness. You can't let him and, and Brian Robinson get going and turn them into a two-headed monster where they're passing it and throwing it because that's going to be a long day. And then take some chances. Don't be surprised to see Todd Munkin or Kirby Smart go for it in some fourth down situations or in the red zone or when they cross the 50, um, because the fact of the matter is you need touchdowns to beat the Crimson Tide. Uh, the days of outlasting them 13 to 10 in the defensive struggle are over, um, unless they're playing in what may be the worst weather imaginable outside. You need to score in the 30s, most likely, to win the game. So that means generating touchdowns, extending drives, and to try to try and get them, and doing everything in your power to put yourself in a position to, to make winning plays. So, um also, you know, those are the, the keys to the game. That, that's what Georgia has to do, and the, those are the controllables that they have. But I think when you enter this game, you also have to think about one more thing. You know, 
not only is this one for the Natty, it's not for the Nat, it's for the national championship, but this one is a little bit bigger. If if you're a University of Georgia fan or supporter or whatever, I get that Alabama has beaten them seven times in a row and the the trouble um, that Kirby Smart's had beating his mentor and things like that. But we're talking about legacy right here. This is a legacy defining moment. Kirby Smart has been as good as any coach in the game over the past five or six seasons, but he's missing the one component to get him to saying Kirby Smart is a great football coach. Um, and that is winning a national title. Um, you can say that 99% of schools would take his success over in the, in the time he's been at Georgia. If he, you put it at Baylor, you put it at Oklahoma, you put it at, you know, Ohio state, you put it at, you know, North Carolina, North Carolina state, you put it at any of the Florida state, even you put it at these historically really good schools. Um, they would take the success, but getting so close and not delivering the big trophy is frustrating. When Kirby Smart was brought to Georgia to win big trophies, he was brought to Georgia to contend for national titles. But beyond that, he's moved past. He, he's he's gotten the contending every year since Kirby Smart's second year or past his second year at Georgia. They've been a preseason in the preseason conversation to win it. So when you are there consistently, you are you are in the contention category. You've checked that box. The next thing for you to do is to is to win them. And with whatever frequency you win them, that's up. To, that, that's notwithstanding. But you need the first one to get to move beyond and check a final box of of having success because success for Kirby Smart, I think at Georgia is not one national championship. It's multiple national championships. Before we can start talking about multiples, we got to win. You got to win the first first. Um, so I think a win here erases six years of bad memories. There's no more Mark Ricks 2.0 talk, which we've openly had and, and surmised on this show. There's no more people saying that Nick Saban gets in his head or Georgia's head or whoever. There's no more thinking there's a mental hurdle to get over with Alabama that starts with the head coach. You erase all those narratives, and most likely you are able to start what kind of looks like the beginning of what it could be the next dynasty-like streak in college football. But you got to win the first one first. Um, win this one, and I think you'll see the dogs putting together a streak that is similar to what Alabama and Clemson have done over the past, you know, five to ten years in the playoff era. I'm not calling for a repeat or anything like that, but two and five, three and six or seven. That's not out of the question. If you can win that first one, you step into top tier program status um, and Kirby Smart steps into top flight head coach status that Georgia that Georgia has been trying to get to for the past 20 years. Essentially, since Mark Rick came, you get to the point that you've been trying to get to for the past 20 years. You get to leave that purgatory of, of really, really good teams that are consistently good, win recruiting titles, put together 10 and 11 win seasons, but don't get the national titles to go with them. Um, Clemson was there and they stepped out of the category. Um, I'll tell you that some of the teams are there. Oregon's there. Oregon never has gotten over that hump. Um, another team that's there would be Texas A&M. Texas A&M is going to is still sitting firmly in that 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 category those are kind of the three big teams that are there that, that put together these really good season and seasons impressive seasons but they don't quite lead to national title victories or don't quite lead to playoff appearances things like that but if you win this game if you're Kirby Smart in Georgia you leave that category entirely you have now ascended into the college football royalty you with the teams that have won titles with the Alabamas with the Clemsons with the Florida States with the you know the Auburns the 
the teams that have won titles here recently, um, you, you ascend into that category with those teams. You're no longer the team that has to hear about 41 years ago is the last time you won a title. You get to, you get to talk about how we won a title last year, how we're coming back to win a title next year. We're going to win another recruiting title the next December and the next spring and summer. And then we're going to go win another title year after that. And we're talking about dynasty at that point. But before we can have those conversations, if you're Kirby Smart, you got to go knock off Alabama on Monday night. And, and so that's going to be the key is managing not only only the game portion of it, but the game within the game, which is this, all this conversation about legacy and, and how good can Georgia be if they win this football game. Before we can talk about that and really have those conversations and, and let our minds wander, it's important to win this first, win this one on Monday. That's the first thing you have to do is win this first football game. I think it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck approach. Everybody wants it. Everybody can can almost taste it. I described it to someone else. Um, you know, the, the Braves winning was like we could see the promised land, and then we finally, you know, for the past couple of years, and then they finally took us there. And so it was a bit of a surprise considering the things that were working against that team, but they got it done. Uh, but with Georgia, it's like you've tasted it. You've had someone, you know, reach into the, the national championship spoon and sprinkle a little bit of it down uh, into your mouth, but it got snatched away. You know, the spoon got snatched away by, by Tua Tungabalo and Devontae Smith uh, a few years ago. And, and so, you know, then they got snatched away, you know, again with a bad loss to South Carolina a couple years after that. And so now you're back. You're back at the table let's 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 get the meal let's bring the meal let's let's pull the plate all the way to us and let's eat the meal and enjoy it and 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 win a national title on monday night so that's my rant that that's that's all i've got for this show thank you guys for listening i really do do appreciate it um be sure to check us out next week we're going to talk national title we're also going to dig into some of these atlanta professional sports teams that um you know their seasons are ending or their seasons are beginning to ramp up um like the uh, the hawks are getting in high gear and the falcons are ending so hope to have some more guests on as well to talk about free agency um, for for the Falcons and talk about the drafts and also talk about trade deadline action for, for this Hawks team that may need some help. So again, thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate it. Be sure to check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. That is the 40 Forum. Also on Twitter at the 40 Forum. Also check me out at Isaiah Smith 30. Be sure to like us and subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate your listenership and we'll talk to you next week.